Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Clap Your Hands podcast, an emergency edition of the Clap Your Hands podcast, still brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Make sure you download that Odyssey app and get all the episodes first. Brought to you, as always, by 94WIP as well. And today, Kyle, you know, at the end of the last pod, we said we'll talk to you guys soon. I don't know that either of us thought it would be this soon, but we are here today because the Sixers have announced they have fired Doc Rivers. Everybody gets what they wanted. The the man that has been blamed is, is finally gone. And uh, certainly, you know, a little, like I said, probably sooner than we all thought. Uh, so what are your just kind of initial thoughts on this? Well, first of all, I'm really happy to be talking to you today from a men's warehouse ad. <laughs> um, so I forgot about I just that. Wanted yes. to, well, uh, here's what I'll say. That's your wedding photo, I would assume, right? It's one of the many wedding yes, photos. Yes, yes. Yeah. Looks very good, very good. Uh, yeah. We don't have to nope. do wedding photos. I just got like 5,000 in July, but it is wild how many they send you. But it's a good looking no. photo, and I like the so, apologies. Apologies to everyone that my webcam is not working, and so you only get to see Elliot's beautiful face. Um, yeah, people are probably watching, like, what have I signed up for here? So now that we're on the other side of this, I can I feel like I was being vague when we talked a couple days ago about mm-hmm. what I was expecting and when. Um, I I thought that there were some weird signs that this was happening. One of them being, I got a text that Doc might talk on Tuesday, on let's say Sunday evening, and yeah. then shortly after that, it was like a brief delay and then a follow up text where it was like. Or it might not be until the end of the week. And I was like, hmm, that sounds like there are some decisions potentially being right. made. That, like it uh, might not reason, be ever. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the exit interview for Doc is with Daryl and then he leaves and we never see him again. Um, right. So that was kind of a weird thing, but I didn't read too much into it because you never want to like go with your gut on something like that. And then just it doesn't happen and you look like an idiot. So <laughs> Look, I, I think we probably knew this was coming. If we're being honest with ourselves, I think yeah. losing in the second round at all probably would have been the end of the road for Doc. I think the unfortunate thing for him is that if if we're just assessing his full tenure here and looking at his portion of the blame for these three seasons, I would say he has the least blame and this flame out, like obviously we already roasted Joel and James for 45 consecutive minutes the other day, but it, it feels like this is more of the, the culmination uh, of what he had done previously rather than saying, yeah, Doc, you really screwed this series up. I think this is yeah. just something had to change and he's the easiest piece to change right now. So I do think, and we at times have, you know, only kind of joked, but kind of seriously said we're a pro-doc pod with the job he did this year. 
I thought was mostly a good job. Got him to the third most wins in the NBA. Um, the Boston series, you're right. It is silly to think if Melton makes two of those three pointers, we're talking about how Doc finally got over the hump and Joel's a winner and this team can finally do it and maybe they'll win the final. So, you know, it really does show just how close these series can be and how much they impact legacies. But that being said, I think the Boston series also kind of encapsulates everything of why we're why we're doing this pod because while doc was not bad as the head coach of the sixers he got them the number one seed he got them three different playoff victories and you know the first round uh got them to seven against boston they paid doc to be special and they paid doc to get them over the hump and doc didn't do it he didn't do it he had flaws that we talked about game to game during the regular season but if you look at the boston series and i'll never pretend to be mr basketball x's and o's guy but it seemed like Joe Mazzulla just figured out how to stop the pick and roll by adding an extra big man. And Doc had no counterpunch. And I don't know if, you know, I don't know what the counterpunch would have been. That's not my job. But one thing you do hear about Doc is in-game adjustments and those things. So I do not think Doc is why they lost the series to Boston. Embiid is a big reason why. Joe, uh, James Harden is a big reason why. Jason Tatum going absolutely crazy is a big reason why. But Doc was paid the money he was paid to get them past the point, and he had three different shots at it. So while I'm not going to sit here and be like, thank God he's gone, what a terrible job he did, now they have a chance to win, I also can't sit here and say I don't – and debate if it's a good decision because it's probably the move I would have made as well. Yeah, so we'll get to the potential candidates for this job in the first place. Um, did you see there's a video from Rashid Wallace? Oh, yeah, I that just came out <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I thought was probably a good example of why Doc isn't here anymore. For anyone who has not seen this video yet, essentially, Rashid said when he was with the Celtics in Boston, I believe he's only there for a year, it would have been at the end of 20, his career. Yeah. It was 2010 when they went to game seven with the Lakers and lost and Kendrick Perkins got hurt at the end of that series. And Doc actually was asked about that series recently. I was like, oh, thanks for bringing that up during another uh, <laughs> playoff series involving the Celtics. Um, but Rashid essentially said what all of Doc's critics would say is that he just doesn't make adjustments. And when he says to do something, there were times in the Boston huddle where he would say something they go out on the floor and then the players would essentially huddle up and say, all right, here's what we're actually going to do. Yeah. And I think it's a good example of why that 08 Celtics team is the only team that he's ever been able to take to the mountaintop. Because one, the talent was overwhelming. You have three Hall of Famers plus Rajon Rondo, who I think whatever you think of him and his career overall really intelligent cerebral player so that if you needed somebody to kind of diagnose things on the fly and figure things out, that's a good guy to be running the offense for you, running the team for you. So, you know, to have somebody like that, a former player come out and basically say Glenn Rivers, which he called him Glenn. I thought was very funny. He's like, Glenn mm -hmm. didn't do this or Glenn oh, yeah. didn't do that. That is a, a pretty bad sign for him overall. Now, I guess the counterpoint would be, and I guess one thing to keep an eye on during this coaching search, Joel really liked Doc. And I don't think he ever made that much of a secret throughout his time here. And after game seven, Joel came out and said he's done a great job. Now, he he couched that by saying, 
this is a guy who, or there are a bunch of guys around the league who also lost their jobs that have won coach of the year. Monty mm-hmm. Williams, Mike Budenholzer. Budenholzer, in his case, won a title a couple years back. So these guys are all aware that it's a what have you done for me lately business, same as it is in every other professional sport. But we're going to see just how much sway Joel has when it comes to the coaching search process because look like you've hired the wrong guy and, and Joel gets upset. Uh, there are some reporting rumors about James Harden and his relationship with doc yeah. after the comments he made end of the series, you piss off Joel. I know nobody really cares right now because people are ready to throw Joel off the Ben Franklin bridge, <laughs> Yes, but, but, but if you irritate him and then all of a sudden it's, Hey, He's, he might be looking for the exit door. Then we're talking about a very, very different situation for the organization. Um, I'm curious because I do want to get into the James Harden thing, the Joel impact. And that's probably when we talk about some of the different candidates. It's funny coming into this pod, I was debating how much we even really want to talk about Doc. I remember when the Eagles fired Doug Peterson, there was real debate. Like, should they have done it? Was this the right move? This reminds me a lot more of when the Phillies fired like Joe Girardi in the way where everyone just agrees it was the right move. So kind of rehashing the doc legacy, you know, I I don't know how important that is, but one thing that is is important that I wanted to ask you was for the next head coach, obviously one of those things that they're going to be looking for is making up for the areas that doc lacked. And I thought that Daryl Morey's statement, while clearly very complimentary of doc, also at the end where he said, we have to make moves to essentially paraphrasing here, like advance our chances of winning a championship. He didn't really, you know, that's a line that is, that is critical uh, of doc. Right. So I'm curious for your, from your experience of covering doc up close, being at his press conferences, talking to players about him being, uh, you know, at, at all these games and covering them. What do you think doc did to hurt the team? And what do you think doc did to help the team? So let's start with how he helped the team. I think the biggest thing that he did that looks obvious in hindsight, but I think was a real decision to make when he came here was putting Joel Embiid at the top of the Sixers pyramid. Cause remember mm-hmm. he's hired in 2020, right? Coming out of the bubble. And especially because Ben Simmons had missed the bubble or missed the playoffs in the bubble with a back injury. There were a lot of people who either wanted to trade Joel Embiid or thought that Ben Simmons was the best player they had in the organization. And Doc came in, and while he still said this is a partnership and they have to work together, was very clear and very definitive that this is Joel's team and we're going to go as far as Joel is able to take us, which turns out is the seventh game of the second round but you know that's uh as far as ben can take him to <laughs> that's another discussion but coming in and establishing roles and establishing a hierarchy was very important because there was just kind of this too many cooks we don't know who's the leader who's the guy who things are running through and it was something that i think struck jimmy butler when he was here he sort of became the guy just because that's Jimmy's personality in the playoffs yeah. and even coming out of it. Now, Jimmy lies through his teeth all the time, just like Doc does. So that's a funny thing that they actually share in common. Yeah. But Jimmy coming out of the Brett Brown experience essentially said there was no direction and we're coming into meetings and we don't know who is who and, and 
you know, so on and so forth. And I think Doc did a better job of kind of setting those guidelines. And you're going to play this role. This is what you can be expected to do, whether you're Joel, whether you're Ben, Seth Curry, James Harden, whoever it is. He comes into the season, says what he wants from you, and that's kind of – you can adjust it as the season goes on. He'll take meetings with his players, but he's good at setting up that kind of stuff. I also think the ego management side of it, which is tied into that, is very important. Getting guys like James to buy into more of that playmaker first mentality or going to Tobias and saying, I need you to be more of a spot up catch and shoot guy. And that's what's going to help our team. Now, look, Tobias had ebbs and flows there. He's clearly not super comfortable with it. But you can see that he put in the work to at least try to be that guy. And some of that is a credit to Doc and the rest of the coaching staff for, you know, pushing him in that direction. Really, now, really, um, really yeah. quick before you get to the negatives. I'm curious. Do you think Joel really liked Doc because he came in and said, Joel's the guy? Or do you think Doc, uh, Joel, like respected Doc as a coach? Like as a, as a tactician? I think- I think it's both. Like, certainly, oh, yes. if somebody, if you have a new boss come in and tells you, hey, I'm going to let you be the guy and do whatever you want while you're making a ton of money. It's great, man. I can I can podcast when I want to. I can yeah. write when I want to. That's a great deal. So, yeah, sure. There's a lot of it that comes down to Doc sort of fed into what Joel wanted from the very beginning to some extent. Mm-hmm. But I also think... You know, the evolution of Joel's game, moving him to the elbows and adapting the offense like that. At least some of that comes from the organization. Many of the reps that Joel put in to get there are in the offseason with Drew Hanlon away from the team. But that was not just, hey, Joel's going rogue and then he comes back and is deciding all this. That's something that they discussed as part of exit interviews and things like that. So I do think there's an appreciation from Joel for how he helped move him around and use him as a, a more valuable chess piece. So on the negative side of things, clearly there are some maddening tendencies that Doc has had that date back far beyond the Sixers tenure, right? Where young guys don't get enough of a chance early on. We saw it this season with Montrez Harrell playing a lot of the year. I think in that instance, not only is that a Doc problem, individually it's one of those where he because he's trying to appease Mm -hmm. a James Harden and the veteran guys and look I know that James wanted to play with Trez more early in the season there was not that level of trust with Paul Reed and Doc just willingly deferring in that situation and saying "Yeah, yeah yeah that's what we're gonna do that's on him to draw firmer lines there and to say we need to give Paul a chance and to think ahead so that you know, they ended up having enough time to get Paul Reed ready. But imagine if those last, you know, two months of the season were not enough for Paul Reed to become yeah. a reliable backup center. And then you're in the same position that you've been in time and time again. I mean, they haven't used a guy like Jaden Springer. I don't think he would have made a difference in that playoff series against Boston. But he obviously is a first round pick, one of the few they're going to have over the last few years. And has basically been a non-entity, non-factor so far in the rotation. And so those are big issues. And then, look, I don't get too worked up about the um, adjustments and and things of that nature because I 
we talked about it after game seven. A lot of the failure just came down to their best players not being good enough. But mm-hmm. you don't see them do many creative off the wall. You know, we're going to talk about Nick Nurse at some point. They're not playing a box and one or they're not doing anything crazy, playing double big lineups and things like that. I know those are complaints that a lot of other people have made. I don't think this is a team that genuinely needed a lot of, you know, crazy throw shit at the wall type strategies, but it's definitely a limitation of Doc. He gets painted into a corner and what he did with the starting lineup in game seven ends up working because PJ Tucker just hit a bunch of threes and that's great. But the flip side of that is Doc historically has stuck with stuff that doesn't work and that has killed him. Like the game seven against Atlanta, they're playing uh, Ben Simmons and, and Dwight Howard together on the floor at the same time. And those lineups had clearly fallen off of a cliff. And so yeah. Doc's stubbornness is a thing. Like, look, he's coached long enough that he's set in his ways in certain ways. And one of the big reasons that, even though I, as with all coaches, I end up becoming ambivalent on Doc, I think one of the reasons I was most down on hiring him specifically in 2020 is that he's coming off this giant high profile failure in LA. And when you come off of that and the team immediately pays you $80 million over five years or whatever his contract was, you're not being asked to change at all. You're not being asked to reevaluate what went wrong and what you could have done better and why you're not a coach who has gotten close to a title in however many years now. Mm-hmm. What you say to yourself is, I'm really good. As he said in a press conference, you wouldn't ask pop that question. And there's a level of just, I don't need to change who I am. And I think he made small changes to who he is this season. I thought he was a little more aggressive with pulling guys from the rotation and making switches when he needed to. But overall, I still think the the underlying theme with him is that he's going to set up how he sets up. He's going to win a lot of regular season games. And then if he doesn't have the talent advantage to get it done, his team is probably not going to win. So one thing you said in there that, you know, maybe they'll miss, or there's going to be something to consider with this next head coach was one of the strengths, which is Joel really liked him, And he was good at getting players to do things he wanted. Obviously the tactician part, there is going to be something they'll look for, but the Joel and Harden part of this, let, let's get to that now. So there's been reports, and frankly, Harden didn't exactly hide it in his post-game press conference where he just said, our relationship's okay. I'm not around Harden a lot. Maybe that just is kind of how he speaks, but I did not get the vibe from being at a lot of end-of-season press conferences. That was not the glowing endorsement I think Doc probably wanted to hear uh, yeah. from, from one of his best players. But Joel and Harden, you mentioned at the beginning of the pod that the city right now is very mad at Joel and very mad at Harden. So there's a lot out there of, don't let these losers pick who the coach is. I don't subscribe to that, but I am curious from your perspective, how, how can the Sixers walk that line? Because I do think it's important to have people, to have a head coach that Joel and, and I guess let's say James too, to a certain extent, but definitely Joel is excited about. I, I think it makes a better working relationship. He's your best player. He's your franchise, all those things. On the other hand, you could make an argument that where these two specific players have failed 
is that they have moments where they are out of it and they can't get back into it. It's why they hired PJ, right? I'm hired. That did hire, but also signed. It's why they brought in PJ. <laughs> so I'm curious on two folds. A, do you think they will have input? What do you think of the mate of the James Harden report? But also, would you do it? Because I think I would, but I'm not as sold on just let Joel pick whoever he wants as maybe I thought I would be. I would say you don't hire someone that he actively hates. But beyond mm -hmm. that, I don't think you can let them get that involved in this process. And I think your guiding light has to be who is the best coach that we can hire, just period. Because, and this is not necessarily about James and Joel specifically, but if we're looking down the road here, there's been a lot of talk about how this new CBA is going to change roster constructions. And from now until the 2024 trade deadline, there might be a wild amount of star player movement. Mm -hmm. If we're preparing for that sort of world, and again, I'm not saying Joel's going to ask for a trade or get traded or James is going to ask for a trade, get traded or leave in free agency, however you want to frame it. But you have to consider the, the idea that you could hire somebody just because it's James's guy or Joel's guy. And that guy could be the, those players could be gone in the next year or two. Like yeah. I think that the franchise is at such a crossroads right now that we can't bank on. I would say almost anybody on the roster being here longer than the next two years. Right. And even that I think is a pretty generous time frame. I but mean, the great example, close, but yeah, no, well, see, here's the thing. If you really are going to try to push for this is a title winning team, we That's believe true. in Joel, yeah, we right. believe in James. Maxi's your only valuable, like really valuable trade Good ship. Point. And he's the guy that would have to move. If you, if you say the stars are good enough, but we have to make a big splash move, bring something, someone else in to shift the core. Well, that's the guy you have to move. So nobody, no, I, don't, I don't think anybody is locked in stone enough that you sit here and say, we're definitely hiring a coach just because it makes this guy happy. Because look, I think you, if you look, and one of the reasons I was disappointed to see the list of names that came out and I confirmed it just following up with the team is that almost the entire list, they're all known quantity type guys. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, you know, we'll go through the names. Nick Nurse and Mike Budenholzer, Sam Cassell is one of the only wild cards, honestly. Uh, Frank Vogel, Mike D'Antoni, all good coaches who have all won lots of games, especially when they've had, you know, good rosters. And this is a very good roster as it stands right now. But if you look at like an Eric Spolstra, that guy has lasted through so many different versions of different teams and they he was almost fired like when lebron mm. was there i think the the core of that team didn't want him there anymore and miami's front office essentially had to say we're not firing him he's a good coach and you have to figure it out and the heat have reaped the benefits of holding on to him for a long long time and so i think their goal has to be getting a guy like that. And that's a lofty goal. It's not an easy thing to do. If you could just walk out on the street and hire an Eric Spolstra and have that guy on your organization for, you know, 15 years or whatever, 
everybody would do it. But I don't think you can't look at how the Bucks have fared in the playoffs, for example, repeatedly outside of one run and say, yeah, Mike Budenholzer, that's the guy who I think is going to change their fortunes. Yeah. I think you have to be willing to take a bigger risk here. Now, the flip side of it is they're less likely to take a risk because you're more likely to get fired if you screw up a risky decision. And I think that's part of the calculus. So we'll see uh, what Daryl Morey and company cook up over the next you know month or however long this takes. All right. So we'll get into the list of names. I'm curious for your opinion on, I mean, a lot of them, there's a lot that were listed, but also so some other names that maybe weren't reported, but last question, you can even just give yes or no answer, but the idea that he was fired because of James Harden, do you think there was anything to that? Is this meant to appease James Harden to get him to come back? Or I, do you think this move is made no matter what? I would say it's a positive side effect for them okay. more than it is. They did it because of James Harden. I, I, I think Doc was always going to be the fall guy if this went wrong, right? We've talked about that for months and months now. It is very obvious that because of you know how the NBA works, quite frankly, the head coach is always the guy who ends up on the chopping block first. It's the nature of being in that position. I don't feel too bad for Doc because he's still going to collect quite a bit of money for doing yes. nothing over the next couple of years, probably working on TV People or just playing golf. Or... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't feel that bad for him, but I, I don't think that it was like Daryl Morey saw that report or hurt from Ramona Shelburne or talked to James. And he said that and just walked into doc's office and was like, you got to go. I'm sure right. it's something that was in his mind. I'm sure that he's as aware of how James is feeling as anybody in the league, but yeah, I don't think that's the number one reason that you would do this for sure. So let's get into the head coaches, the candidates. Let me say first off the bat, just what I think I want in a head coach for the Sixers. Um, I've not covered a Sixers head coach search. I've covered a few Eagles ones. And what I think I learned from that, and obviously that's football and this is basketball, but I think the the philosophy and the principle of what I want in a coach is the same. I think this team needs somebody that is going to come in and be coaching for their life every, like making their legacy now. If you talk about Doc, Doc obviously had a lot of question marks because he hadn't won in a while, all those things. Doc was already a multimillionaire, legacy was set, probably a Hall of Fame coach or definitely a Hall of Fame coach, I'd say before he was even hired here. Some of these other coaches we're talking about. Uh, the Bucks coach, he's won an NBA title. Um, Frank Vogel, he won one in the bubble, which you could argue if that's real or not, but he's won an NBA title. I think what this team lacks, and what I saw when the Eagles hired Doug Peterson and Nick Sirianni is, Doug and Nick were not the top five choices on the general list of guys. They weren't getting the, the initial tweet from Schefter saying they're going to interview Nick Sirianni, right? No one knew who he was. Doug Peterson, the Eagles only interviewed him. And I think a benefit of that is when these guys came in, they were doubted, they had to prove themselves, and they were extremely hungry and ready to go in, and they were extremely just motivated to do a great job. I'm not saying Doc didn't want to win, but Doc didn't need to win. His contract was $80 million whether he got paid or not. What I think the Sixers need, especially with Joel and if James is going to be back, is somebody that is motivated, somebody that is going to come in and be fresh, somebody that's going to come in and do things their way because they have to do it their way. And 
with some of those retread coaches, that's always my concern with a retread is that they're just going to come in and if it works, they'll, you know, if it works great, if it doesn't, they kind of already have their money and they'll just, they'll just leave or get fired and still collect their money. So I do think that's an important quality and it's why I'm not as big on a Mike D and Tony or, or those type of guys. Mike D and Tony might be the correct, like, you know, X's and O's basketball guy, but does he really need to come in here and win? How old is he now? He's got to be up there. I just he's seventy two, I, I believe. Yeah, he's seventy two. I just is he going to come in here every day and be so motivated to really just dominate and win this title? I don't think so. Whereas guys like Sam Cassell, who I do have some concerns about too, this would be the beginning of his legacy. This would be the beginning of him coming out and proving he can be an NBA head coach. So. That's kind of where I'm at in general of what I'm looking for. It probably stems from the, I don't know how much head coaches really impact things. Clearly there are things Doc could have done better. And this coach has to be better at some, at, at those things. But from a personality perspective, I'm okay bringing someone in that maybe is going to push Joel and James a little because they themselves really need to win. Yeah. So there are a few guys on the list that I would say I have very little interest in. So right. Budenholzer would be one. I think he's a perfect – again, he's in the Doc Rivers camp where you're going to win a lot of regular season games with him as the coach. He's a good system setter. Offense will flow well. He sets up good defenses as well, or at least has when he had Brooke Lopez and yeah, Giannis on the team. The of the year, and Drew Holiday. You know. <laughs> yeah, what a, what a job, yeah. But in terms of adjusting in the playoffs and, you know, being an X's and O's type guy in that sort of scenario, no real confidence in him. I'm with you on the D'Antoni thing. I, I look, I have a lot of respect for him as an offensive mind. I think if I were, I could be convinced on him more than I could on Budenholzer just because I have that much respect for you know what he's done in terms of changing NBA offenses over his career. But I'm pretty worried that. The guy's 72 years old and that's just like, how much do you have left to give? Yeah. At that point. I think the fan favorite coming out of this, I would guess is Nick Nurse. I am not opposed to Nick Nurse. I would say this. As soon as the personnel left, Kawhi, Kyle Lowry, so on and so forth. They didn't get shit done on offense. Mm -hmm. That was one of the worst half-court offenses in the league. And it's one of those great examples of how much can you credit a coach for offensive success compared to the personnel? Because we have not seen much inventive from him. Granted, he's been dealing with the team that is basically all wings, no guards, and very few big men. And once Jakob Pertl was in at the end of the season... They made an, another insane trade, which that's more of a Masai Ujiri problem. They at least kind of looked like a competent team at times, but I'd be very nervous that he was essentially Toronto Thibodeau for the last couple of years <laughs> would be what I would say. I, none of those names on that list are like, yeah, that's definitely the guy. I think Nurse is the one that's closest to, all right, I've seen him just do some crazy shit. He's a very good coach that when he's had great rosters has done great things. But I guess Cassell is the wild card. He certainly has a lot of respect amongst the Sixers guys on the roster. He's been hugely influential with Tyrese Maxey. That's kind of his 
star pupil. I but I don't know. I like I can't sit here and tell you, well, this is how Sam Cassell would run a team, right? Because he hasn't. Any guy who hasn't been a head coach before, that's kind of the hardest thing for all of us to figure out is saying, what does he actually do or what does he want to do? Because even so, for example, if the Sixers had decided or they eventually interview somebody like Dave Yeager, who was on their staff, who he essentially was the offensive coordinator under Doc Rivers, we at least have an understanding of that's what the offense was under him in Philadelphia. He's been a head coach at previous stops. All right, that's the blueprint for what we're going to expect here with the Sixers. Sam Cassell, or you know, you could pick another assistant's name out of a hat elsewhere who hasn't been a head coach before, you're just hoping and praying that the guy basically has yeah. a, a coherent plan. So that's that's the push-pull for me, is that I tend to agree with you that I would like to see more of a new blood up-and-coming coach rather than someone who's been around the block seven, eight, nine times, and we know what they have to offer. But it, it's a risk either way, I think. Well, and if you look at Joe Mazzulla with the Celtics, to perfect example of taking a risk on somebody and then it maybe not mattering is Jason Tatum scores 51 points in game seven. So Joe Mazzulla is in the Eastern Conference Finals. So ultimately, you could go on both sides. You could say on one hand, you want to go with an experienced coach because this is a win-now roster that we both agree, barring you know some type of catastrophic offseason, is probably going to go in the next season as one of the top whatever teams in the whole league and one of the top four teams in the uh in the East. So you want to get someone that's experienced. The flip side is they are a great roster and they are a great team. And if these guys play to their potential, a coach has some time to develop a little bit. You don't have to be a Nick nurse where you're, you're playing with uh you know, the, the deck stacked against you when your best player is Pascal Siakam. Like you're, you're not going to win many games that way. I will say Nick nurse has the dumbest looking logo hat I've ever seen for that alone. I would not hire him. <laughs> I, if he walked in an interview with that, I'd be like, nah, it's all good. You can just turn around. Like, I'm not signing my franchise someone who made an end, like a Nick Nurse logo, but that's neither here nor there. What about Cassell? Uh, one more question I had for you about him is I really like the idea of him. I think I'm basing this off of the limited times I've been around him, but also his personality as a player. He seems like somebody that will be fiery, someone that will be motivated, someone will get in players' faces if he needs to. Obviously, what he's done with Maxi is extremely impressive, but also extremely important because if they're going to be picking guys in the second round or having to sign guys out the G League, you're going to have to develop, right? It's like the Eagles now that they paid Jalen. If you're not going to have as many resources, you're going to have to make sure you develop players that aren't high draft picks into contributing players. And the Sixers will have to do that. My concern with, with Cassell would be he was just in the building. So the problems that we don't like about this team, the lack of adjustments, all these things. Now, Doc's making those decisions, but at the same time, is Doc, you know, is Sam Cassell sitting in these meeting rooms and he has the better solution and he's just not saying it? So what would you make of the fact that they would just be promoting from within on a staff that a lot of people didn't like? Well, so I would use this analogy. Or I'll, let's make a couple cross-sport comparisons here. Love it. So... Ty Lu was an assistant on Doc Rivers' staff, and mm -hmm. Doc Rivers essentially has said on the record, well, Ty Lu was sitting right next to me when we had these collapses, and it's a really stupid thing to say, yes, honestly. Yeah. But Ty Lu has been you know, revered at times for what he's been able to do in the playoffs. He made some great adjustments on, uh, 
en route to Cleveland's only title in franchise history. Now, granted, he's got LeBron on his team. So you can make easier adjustments when you have LeBron James, maybe one of the most, maybe the most versatile player in the history of basketball. Uh, But I do think there's something to the idea of, it does change when you're in an assistance chair versus the lead chair, right? We see in football a lot. One of the guys I always think of is Wade Phillips, who I thought was just completely out of his depth as a head coach. And you could see mm-hmm. that whenever he got chances there. But historically was a very, very good defensive coordinator. And there are some guys that are built to be in that sort of complementary role. And that's what you need to figure out with a guy like Cassell, because I do think if you just look at the stuff he was individually responsible for or players that he worked with, clearly Maxi is a big success story for him and for the organization. And if you look at Cassell as just a generic coaching candidate, he does look like, or seem like the kind of guy that would be a good head coach was a point guard and has to think that it was not a, overwhelming athlete at pretty Mm -hmm. much any point in his career. So had to think the game a lot. And he was always a very crafty type player during his playing days. He's gotten a lot of good reviews from the individual players who have worked with him. So I believe that John Wall, Bradley Beal in Washington, we see Maxi. I'm sure there are guys that in LA were also singing his praises. So all those things are good. And I wouldn't say that him being on Doc's staff means he can't be a good head coach or that whatever input he was offering, he can only offer so much as the assistant because the lead guy is the guy who makes the big decisions. So that's not a disqualifying factor for me, but it's something that you'd have to suss out by putting him through the interview process, seeing what he puts up on a a whiteboard or in a presentation or whatever, however you'd have them interview. And then you figure it out from there. So on top of that, but do you think they would like they would uh, get benefit from a new voice? Like when the Eagles promoted, when, when Doug won the Super Bowl in 2017, they continually promoted from within and eventually the good ideas ran out. And I know you just addressed that, but I mean more so, when you look at just where they're at, do you think they just need an out-of-the-box new voice young guy? Or do you think the respect for Sam Cassell is good enough where he could come in and tell them what to do and make changes and not have kind of the same issues that they had before? Well, I think that also extends to what do you do with the rest of the staff? Like if yeah, Sam true. Cassell gets hired as the head coach, is he keeping a lot of these same assistants? Or does Sam have enough connects? that he says, oh, I'm going to go get this guy and I'm going to go get this guy. Like, Actually, a, what would be ideal, and I, I don't think he would be, they could pull this off, but to get somebody in the mold of a D'Antoni as sort of a first lieutenant, mm-hmm. assistant head coach type guy, I think that'd be very valuable for somebody like Cassell, who'd be, you know, maybe Cassell is more of the chew guys out, like firebrand type leader, and then you surround him because that's that's the other thing about this conversation. You can put somebody in the head coach's chair who might not be, you know, the elite X's and O's guy or somebody who's more of a mystery anyway. And you could say, hey, we're just going to surround this person with a ton of really creative coordinator types, maybe more of the assistant types that 
will get head coaching jobs one day. Like that worked in Boston last season where Ime Udoka was more of the, I'm going to bash Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's heads together and call them out in press conferences. And then he's got guys like Will Hardy, who's a really good coach for the Utah Jazz now. They way overachieved under him. And then Mm -hmm. Missoula was the other guy who they essentially combined to make up a, a complete staff. And so that's, it's never just about who the head coach is. You can find ways to round out whatever the strengths and weaknesses of the head coach are or of the assistants for that matter too. So, I I mean, they're not necessarily boxed in if they were to hire a Budenholzer or a D'Antoni or whoever it is, but you do have to make very careful consideration of each piece of that staff, I think. One person who's kind of, in the middle of this a little bit is Monty Williams. Monty Williams is not 72 years old, like Mike D and Tony, um, you know, he's, but he's, he's coached. And I don't even know if I would say he's failed because he didn't really get a fair shot in Phoenix. He took that Phoenix team all the way to the NBA finals one year. Um, what do you think about him? I like him. I don't love him now saying that I thought it was kind of crazy or I was more down on him when Phoenix hired him than a lot of people were. Cause I didn't think he was anything special in new Orleans when he was yeah. a, when he was a head coach previously, but he's, I, I just feel like he's kind of in that doc mold where I think he's with the leadership qualities. I think he's good. I think he's probably more of a, a firebrand type guy. Like he's mm-hmm. been willing to, he had, and it works both ways he does not have a good relationship with DeAndre Ayton, who it looks looked like they might have to trade him if they were going to keep Monty Williams. They might end up trading him anyway in Phoenix because he's such an up-and-down player. Yeah, But Monty has been willing to just kind of chew guys out, throw them under the bus. And, you know, Joel has worked with him before, and maybe Joel needs a guy like that who's not going to let him get away with as much, who's going to try to hold him. I hate that word, accountability, because... I think it's so stupid to act like a, a coach's number one job is to make sure professional athletes are like right, ready like to play said. all the time. Yeah. But maybe there is something to that where they just need a, a louder, sterner guy in the locker room. And maybe Monty's that guy. But look, if we look through his recent playoff past, they had the most embarrassing. If you want to talk about embarrassing game seven losses, the Phoenix Suns, lost to Dallas in game seven last year <laughs> yeah, right. makes the Sixers game seven loss <clears throat> a couple of days ago feel like a tightly, tightly contested <laughs> affair. So, yeah, I and then they that. also, you know, they have Kevin Durant, Devin Booker and lose pretty easily to Denver in the second round this series. They're up two nothing in the finals against Milwaukee, lose four straight games and lose the championship. So it's not like he has this, spotless track record in terms of postseason success. And that's why, again, I I think I end up agreeing with you where I would be more willing to explore an outside the box hire because I don't think anybody who's readily available right now is this wartless, just pristine candidate that you hire them and it's full steam ahead. They're going to win the title. I think it's a lot of guys that come – with different caveats and question marks and we're all going to see. 
So the outside the box guys, are there any names you think fans should keep an eye on? I looked online for some out of the box names and frankly, the names I found were just ones that are not realistic. One website said Andre Godala could be a head coach. I love that idea a little bit. Udonis, uh, Udonis Haslam, I think it's kind of fun. Uh, it was funny earlier in the pod, you said, have I seen the Rashid Wallace video? And I had seen the one you talked about, but there was another one my friend sent me where Rashid Wallace is like running a drill. And so now I'm kind of in on Rashid Wallace as the idea of a head coach, but outside of guys that they're obviously not going to hire, what are some names fans should maybe keep an eye out for that maybe, you know, or not that you know that they're interested in, but just out of the box assistants or college guys that maybe you think could be of interest. Well, I mean, everybody in Philadelphia is going to ask for Jay Wright. And yeah, oh, that's right. I can't believe we didn't bring him up. Good point. From what I have heard, honestly, I I don't think he really is like jonesing to get back into coaching. Now, mm -hmm. you give him a big enough offer, who knows? And it's I've always been of the perspective there's just a lot to – that is outside the box, but there's just a lot to prove when you can't just – have more talent via recruiting than everybody else. That's always mm -hmm. one of the biggest changes college to the NBA. I have well, a lot I will of respect. Say he's not exactly, he wasn't like a Kentucky. You know, Villanova was getting good recruits, but they weren't getting, did they ever yeah, get? Yeah, but even still, like they're winning, what, 30 games a season. They're right, like in the regular season. I agree with, yeah. They're going to have way more talent than most of the teams they're playing. And like, they, you just can, is what I'm saying. It's not a... You're not definitely going to have more talent than everybody else every year, but I would say average season, most teams they're playing, they're overwhelmingly going to be favored mm -hmm. against. So that's always the hard part. He has played a modern style or his teams played a modern style kind of long before it even became popular with the multi-guard lineups and spacing the floor and what have you. So I'd be interested to see what he would have as an NBA coach if he ever gets there. Although I heard a rumor, this is like way from like the weirdest source imaginable. I, can't I heard wait. a rumor a while back that he might be waiting for potential San Antonio Spurs job to open up to become the Spurs guy when Pop retires. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's that a weird was a, considering their roster is terrible. Yeah, well, maybe if they get Wembenyama, that'll True. make it easier for. Um, so he's one. I know what's his name in Miami. So Chris, oh, the Quinn, Miami assistant coach, Chris, yeah, Chris Quinn, Quinn, the assistant with the who has always gotten pretty strong reviews. Now again, that's on a staff that Eric Spolstra is the guy, and so it's hard to tell. You know how much of this is Spolstra and how much of this is Spolstra yeah. has had. You know, capable lieutenants alongside him. And one of the lessons that I've learned over the years is that. Sometimes teams will float that a guy is a great assistant as a one as a favor to him, but also because they're just, they'd be happy to get him out of there. Like I, right. there some guys hired over the years that clearly did not pan out and were in over their heads as head coaches compared to when they were assistants. So be careful of who you trust when you see assistant names out there, because that's a lot of, agent politicking and you know handshake deals and favors and so that's we're gonna have to go through the background of all these guys to put it put it that way that's why when uh it was initially reported all those names and i i believe they're gonna look into all of them that also is just a list of all the names everybody thought of so i'm sure that there is real interest but 
Now, I guess the last question before we wrap this up is, you know, when they hired Brett Brown, it took what? three months or something like that. Do well, you that think- was pretty unorthodox, honestly. Yes, yes, I yes. would not expect that to take that long. Do you think this is going to be, they fired Doc because they know who they want and they're going to probably just hire that guy and this is going to be a relatively short thing? Or you know, are we going to do two weeks of this, like multiple interviews, rumors, all those things? I think it's going to take a little bit. And I just thought okay. of a real outside the box name. Well, not that far, but I thought of one that, I would be curious if they give it a shot. Becky Hammond. I had that written down as well. People talk Dawn Staley, which I see. Uh, you know, obviously she's from the area, all those things. Becky Hammond's an interesting one. I don't oh, think I just it- think like compared to Dawn, and it's not no disrespect to Dawn. It's obviously built a great program in South Carolina. Becky's already been on an NBA staff. Like she's yeah, had in the WNBA. NBA level experience. That's just a different sort of experience than you know, again, it would be a landmark hire if they were to make a hire like that. And for Dawn, it's like, obviously, she's got great cachet as a coach and played at a really, really high level. But you don't know what it's like to be in a day-to-day locker yeah. room like that as a as a woman coaching a team until you're there. And so I, I would say... Becky has at least a slight leg up if they went in, in that sort of direction. But I would say, based on the name of candidate, the names of the candidates who are out there, I put the chances of either of them being hired at slim to none. Yeah, I, I would say. agree. I think it's probably going to end up being one of the guys that's in the original tweet. It's going to be not super creative. Not you know, if they hire Nick Nurse, we'll do a pod and be like, oh, I get it, but. We won't be sitting here and going, oh my God, look at this exciting new hire they made. And we're learning about him and he's so great. My guess is it's going to be a name, a name that we know. And it's going to be the retread type of head coach. Well, to that point, let's end the podcast on this. Gun to your head right now. Who do they hire? I think it's going to be Mike D'Antoni. You and I both agree. And this is not like my reporting intel or anything, but that would be my guess. I think he checks the most boxes. He's... He has a relationship with Daryl Morey. He has a relationship with James Harden. Embiid, I guess, reportedly wanted him uh, before they hired Doc Rivers, if I'm not mistaken. So there's that box. And he checks the, he's done it before. And you feel confident to an extent handing him over this roster. Like he, you know, you talk about Becky Hammond having experience being in in the NBA locker room. Mike D'Antoni has has been in this situation. It would not be my first choice, but that would be the gun to the head uh, prediction on, on what I think. Yeah, so we'll see if the uh, the first instinct from both of us is correct here. Yes. Well, we'll also see if we get another emergency pod soon because we, we were thinking maybe Friday they would do it. But as always, you were you were right to leave the little tea leaf of saying it might be a little sooner. So thank you to everybody that came to this emergency pod. We got a lot of people in the chat. Appreciate everyone that is chatting live. It's very fun to watch you guys talk about who they might hire um as always make sure you download the odyssey app you get all these episodes first and on days like today where maybe news happens you'll get that auto download and you'll find out from it from there and you'll have an episode waiting for you so we will talk to you before they hire a coach if it takes a while but who knows maybe next time we'll have a new head coach to talk about so thanks again everybody for listening and kyle i'll talk to you next time see you guys soon